Welcome to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. And today we're going to uh, talk with and talk about influencers in the children's music genre. Influencers, what are they? They are people who, I believe, have a certain amount of sway or uh, a position within the industry to make observations outside of those that we as musicians might make. There's a long list of these folks. They do a lot of things. A lot of them are DJs. Some of them uh, review music. Some of them are publicists or publishers, things like that. Mostly I'm talking about people who don't actually perform in the genre, but who observe and report on the genre. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about influencers. And today we're going to have a conversation with one of the very first influencers that I discovered when I became a children's musician. And for more than 10 years, our guest has blogged about children's music. He's reviewed more than 500 CDs and live events, which is really cool. People actually get in the field, watch performances and report on them. He's interviewed some really amazing people like the who are the people in your neighborhood in your neighborhood that's uh, bob mcgrath from sesame street of course uh, also raffi lisa loeb and many other grammy winners seriously interesting person that you need to check out so let's check him out right now as we welcome mr jeff cohen to barn banter hello jeff how are you i'm pretty good uh, good morning good afternoon whenever you happen to be listening the magic of podcasting. The magic, yes. It's okay. always live. Oh, yes, it is. It's always live and always editable, which is something I'm actually pretty happy about. So yes. you, as far as I can find from research, jumped into the blogosphere around 2009 with your mm-hmm. Mr. Jeff 2000. So what is the deal with uh, with Mr. Jeff 2000? That, that's probably... <laughs> I, as, as I always like to tell people, I find the latest, newest technology and I make it sound completely dated and uh, almost like a Luddite for technology. I signed on for America Online in 1994, mm. and I used the ID Mr. Jeff 2000 because in 1994, that was very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think that by the year 2019... I would still be using an ID that is now almost 20 years old. You're so retro. Or 20 years Man, you're dated. So, you're so hip. You're so retro. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm hip to be square because that's, that's, that's you know, that's back to the future, as back to the future as you can possibly go with the way that I do this stuff. So I noticed, I noticed in your, in your blog, when you started this, you immediately started putting up playlists, Ben's playlists. Right. Could you explain a little mm-hmm. bit what that is? Uh, my older son, Ben, is now 18. But when he was starting to take the school bus, he would like to listen to music in the morning. And I started off pulling together about 20 or 25 minutes worth of children's music and putting it on a playlist for him. Mm -hmm. And then later on, he took it over and now he makes his own playlists. Uh, And then at some point I decided it might be interesting if... uh, I used the other aspect of social media, such as uh, Twitter, to share these playlists with people. And uh, so I would do that and I would not hashtag what you at the musician, like your ideas, uh, T, uh, T Salamanders, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if he would choose uh, a, a Cowboy Andy and the Salamanders song, I would say, here's Ben's Wednesday playlist with the Salamanders and. Justin Roberts and Recess Monkey and whoever else he would choose for his playlist. And then after a while, because now it's out there, I would get contacted by publicists and say, well, you're interested in children's music. Do you do reviews? And so that's how that, that's how it it sort of went down that avenue. Mm -hmm. I found the, just going back through the archive um, Mm -hmm. on your blog and looking at those playlists first, you were, I mean, you were really consistent as far as three or four of those a week, at least, that you were posting. If not, I don't know if it was every day, but there's a there's a chunk of material out there that you can go through and see. You can kind of archive when right. when different bands were were releasing albums and and kind of coming up in popularity and 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 that sort of thing. But it isn't just all children's music. I mean, there's a there's a wide range of of genres and artists in that 
collection. Right. I mean, there's, there's, you know, to there, there's children's music, which is music that's recorded specifically for children, and there's also music for children, which are which could be Beatles songs or just general pop tunes, or there's a lot more children's jazz. That's uh, there's a whole subgenre of children's music. There's a bunch of jazz artists. Uh, the Grammy last year was won by uh, a jazz artist in the children's music category. Mm-hmm. So it, it's become increasingly diverse. And so I, I always thought that that would be the most intriguing part of it, would be mixing up, say, putting a Weezer song on and a George Harrison song on. And then the Verve Pipe, I thought it was funny. They started doing children's music mm-hmm. but because they were you know, um, kind of uh, an alt-rock type of band when they first came up. Now... He's got his own favorites, and he's a very good aggregator. If he doesn't choose something for a while, it's because he doesn't like it. And then it just, I will quietly sunset those artists and take them out of where he makes the playlists from in Mm -hmm. iTunes. Mm -hmm. I will take those off the drive because I'd rather have the space for up-and-coming musicians that he might like more who he'll start playing. So this is uh, this is uh, kind of interesting, and, and I'd like to kind of do a pincer move on you by by going in two directions here. Artists like myself can send you our music for the opportunity for you to review them, and I've done this uh, I think three times now, mm-hmm. where you know I send you this the the CD and you you review it, you give it a, you go through it, you thoughtfully listen to it. I don't pay you for this, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just something that you do, and so. As an artist on one side, that is a very unique opportunity because usually to get a review, we have to purchase um, competition. Like we try and get into a competition or an award or something like that right? to actually get some ink about what we do. And so, and not to, you know, nobody's going to listen to this podcast. It's really, it's just going to be you and me. Otherwise you get, you know, 500 CDs being mailed to you or whatever. Uh, (laughs) Suddenly... But what's interesting is, is that I read your reviews and I find them to be very compassionate and thoughtful, and not, Thank you. And, but not always um, kid gloves. You're you're willing to occasionally say, yeah, this song it didn't really work. Uh, so you're, right. you're you're honest at least as far as that goes. Uh, yeah, I, I I try to be. Um, you know the the difference is with as far as kid gloves or or being too sensitive about something. It's not like there's a, a, a group of corporations that are each releasing children's music uh, artists. Uh, pretty much everything is being released independently. You know, <laughs> Disney a while ago, they did their Disney block tour and they had They Might Be Giants and Ralph's World and Imagination Movers and Bare Naked Ladies. And they did a tour of a number of cities and that was a point where Disney was trying to buy their way into the children's music space. Mm-hmm. Um, they already had the tween space with uh, uh, Hannah Montana and shows like that. Now they were trying to, to make it a step younger, like a gateway to their tween artists. And I don't want to say if it was a, a success or failure. All I'll say is they never did it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so there must have been... There must have been at some point where either the financial aspect of it or the, the, the audience aspect, it just didn't really work for them. So when you have th- – there's a big difference between Sony Music sends you a press kit for something and Andy in Montana sends you his CD himself. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I understand that a lot of effort goes into – putting this together and especially say with children's music where you know it's been four or five years since somebody has sent me a cd Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is partially it took them four or five years to put the material together because it's a it's a sideline it's not what they do primarily you know somebody like dan zanes if he puts out an album after a year and a half ben will say oh that was a long time Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm but I, I, I have to make Ben understand, well, you know, he's now on, um, I think, uh, Smithsonian Folkways, right. I think. Yeah. So that's about as big a label for children's music as you're going to find right now. Mm-hmm. You know, 
But uh, but if, sir, for instance, Jelly of the Month Club in Chicago, it took them three years to put a CD together because everybody works. And so when everybody works, it's hard for me to sit there and just eviscerate them. Mm-hmm. You know, they they wouldn't put it out if they didn't think it was good. They wouldn't put it out if they didn't think there was an audience for it. They, they, they're not just putting it out as a vanity project. They're putting it out because they have a local audience, they have a base of people, and they have a desire to go out and perform this material. So it would be presumptuous of me to just be the nasty theater, you know, the nasty critic and just go, you know, it stinks. Mm-hmm. You know, don't waste your time. I'm going to try to write something where, I, I, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm Pollyanna and I'm trying to look for a silver lining. But I'm trying to find, when I'm listening to it, why they recorded these specific songs in this way. Mm-hmm. Why did you, uh, because you're a talented writer, you could write about anything, mm-hmm. and I think, and I think you do write about other things besides children's music. So mm-hmm. what about this genre um, pulled you in? And this is the pincer move, because what I think is interesting is, on the one hand, you're making playlists for your child. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because then it's uh, you're being very selective as far as what you want them to consume up to a point, mm-hmm. and then you let them kind of you know as they mature and they can take over they they do it themselves, mm-hmm. which is as a children's musician that's you never uh, from the business side if you put together an album children don't buy albums parents buy albums right and so you're so that's the threshold that you're always trying to satisfy not not saying that i would write songs so that parents would do that but in the end that's that's kind of the deal so you're the kind of the embodiment of that as the reviewer who who does that so what do you what did you look for in children's music in independent children's music uh, when you were putting together those playlists well, you know, it, 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 it started even before the playlists, if I think back to it. You know, we started off listening to Sesame Street stuff, and the Wiggles were very popular early on. You know, like I said, Beatles, and Sean Colvin had done her first bedtime CD for kids. And so every year for Ben's birthday party, as sort of a, 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 um, a party bag stuffer, we would make a birthday CD of 20 songs or approximately 20 songs he was listening to. So for the third, fourth, fifth, sixth birthday, and there were people who would tell me, I thought this would be an introduction for people. They would tell me like uh, between the fourth birthday and fifth birthday, they'd say, oh, thanks, last year's CD is still in the car. Hmm. And I would think, well, if your kid liked those artists, why didn't you go out and buy some of that music for them? You know, if your kids are in the car singing along to a Randy Kaplan song, why don't, didn't you have any curiosity in looking for that? Didn't you have any curiosity looking for some of these people so that, or, or do you just, you know, play that one CD you've been playing it over and over for a year? Mm-hmm. But to more specifically about what, what I look for and, and why children's music, I find it to be, up. you know, it, it's not all sunshine and glory, but children's music, because of the audience that it's aiming for, tends to be more optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a lot of goth for five year olds. You know, you don't get you don't get death metal for for six year olds. Right. So it, it, it's and, and I had written a piece about this about how there's a way to structure these songs so that you can discuss serious topics. But be, you have to deal with the sensibilities of your audience. So I find that even when it's a dark topic, and, and uh, the, the example I go to is uh, Justin Roberts did a song called, I think, Mom is Sad. It's all about a child noticing that his mother is upset about something. And he wants, he wishes there was something he could do to make her feel better. And that's a very uplifting topic. Mm-hmm. You know, what kid hasn't seen an upset parent and gone and, and, and tried to comfort them? Right. And it's but 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 specifically in the body of the song, he he slips in the line. She's taken off her ring. Ooh. And you go, OK, so that tells the adult listeners what's really going on in the song. And that's a very that's a very, very heavy subject material 
for parents. And a lot of parents wouldn't want to discuss that with their kids. Mm -hmm. So he's very deftly putting it in the song and saying, it's all right. This is something that's going to make the mother in this song sad. And, but you can, you can help her regain her good spirits. So, you know, as opposed to an adult song where it's like, you know, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I never want to see you again. Right. You know, for for three minutes. You know, you're not going to you're not going to play that same song for a child and and have them come out of it feeling the same. Right. And I, I think that there is a distinct um, and maybe this harkens back a little bit to the Disney conversation and not to pick mm-hmm. on Disney. As an artist, I always think that those two to eight-year-old kids are far more sophisticated than most people give them credit. They know what's going on. They witness everything. You know, everyone's like, oh, their brains are sponges. It's like, yes, and they're actually soaking all this up. They they may not understand why, but they experience it at the same level that we do. Exactly, exactly. And they also have, they have their own sense. Of, like I said with Ben, he's got his own sensibilities. He knows exactly what he likes and he knows what he wants to hear. I broke into this originally because my ex-wife used to work at Rolling Stone Press and her boss was married to a musician Mm -hmm. who started to record children's music Hmm. uh, as Uncle Rock. And so we got their family newsletter one December and they said, oh, by the way, he's put out a CD and it's $10 a copy with shipping if you want to get it. And so to be supportive, we sent $10 and got the CD and started playing it for Ben. And Ben really liked it. Uh, and then he said um, he sent out an email blast saying he, his song, one of his songs was going to be played on a children's music radio show. Now, I this was a whole new window. I did not even know, you know, other than Sirius XM, I did not know that there were children's music radio shows. Not mm-hmm. certainly not in the New York area where I live, but I could podcast it. I could download the podcast. Hmm. Uh, and that was Bill Child's Spare the Rock out of Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So I remember downloading the podcast and I put it on and about two or three songs in, a song we had never heard came up, which is um, Roger Day did a song with a tuba in it called It's a No-No to Kiss a Rhino. And the chorus <laughs> is he makes kissing noises, and after each kissing noise, it's ow, 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 ow. <laughs> so we play this. So I'm looking in my rearview mirror at Ben. He's never heard this song before. He has this stunned look on his face mm-hmm. as he's trying to figure out the concept of, you know, the, the nonsense song. And then he just, he laughed a little, and he said, when it ended... He said, again, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had to rewind on the iPod and then play it again, and he wanted to hear it like two or three times in a row. Mm. So that was when we sort of, the Rubicon changed from, all right, I'm going to come up with all this music that he can listen to, to him now realizing he had some control over this process. Right. And once he found out that he had that control, we would listen to Spare the Rock every week. And I still do this. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of ingrained as one of our procedures. I download the, spare, the, the playlist for Spare the Rock, and he wants to see it. Mm-hmm. But back then, we would listen to an episode, and then he would come over with a, a pen or a crayon, and he would show me which songs he wanted me to go to the iTunes store and purchase so that I could put those songs in his morning playlists. Hmm. And uh, it also was when he started shaping playlists to make it more of his experience. There's a lot of things that I really appreciate about that story, that timeline. Part mm-hmm. of it is is you're an engaged parent at that point who's helping your child make these entertainment choices, as opposed to giving him the remote and just saying, watch whatever. Right. And that's, of course, that's for um, for a children's musician on my side. That's the dream: is that you you put things out there, you play shows, parents listen to them, and they're like, "Yes, this is the kind of energy I want my child to be exposed to, or the positive message, or whatever it is that's outside of the norm." 
that's new right. for them. Yeah. The the other thing is that then this segues into by cultivating the, the playlists and then starting to do some reviews. This is how, in my mind, it, you shift from being just a, a cool dad, you know, doing cool things for your kids to give them an opportunity to hear new and 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 more refined music, to being an influencer, because you know Bill Childs was in Northampton, then he went down to Austin, and, and now I think he's moving again. Uh, but he's still doing Spare the Rock, Spoil the right. Child. Right. There's a there's a sizable group of these folks in the industry who are not musicians who comment on children's music, whether it's through their podcast or their radio shows or reviews like you. I think Jeff Bogle said he used to have a podcast that I would listen to, and it was and he would put up playlists. And in the beginning of his um, podcast, he would say, the golden age of children's music. Right. I, I was always kind of curious about that. Once I, kind of, I, I could kind of see where he was coming from to, when he said that because of the quantity and quality of independent music that was available. And, right, right. And I, and I was curious to see if he would say that again today, if he still thinks that we're in that in that period of golden age of children's music, you've been in this game for long enough that you've you've seen the arch. So, where do you think we are as far as independent children's music? Um, I think we're still. I, I think we're entering a second, a second age of that. When Ben was three through five, we started taking him to children's music shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the earliest was. The Wiggles at Madison Square Garden, and then I think right around that same time we went to Symphony Space and we were introduced into that world, and we saw Dan Zanes for the first time. Uh, now Dan Zanes is still playing, but his band has evolved, and people who are in his band over the years have gone solo, uh, and so he spun off a number of people who have their own careers in children's music. Hmm. So you know he so he's sort of a veteran in the field. But there's now a second generation of people who kind of grew up on the music that he was playing. They they brought their kids to see his concerts, and then now they're going out and they're making their own music. Um, I'm not saying those kids are old enough to go out and say, well, I heard Dan Zanes when I was three, and now I'm playing. Because that would make them, they're still teenagers. Mm-hmm. But they've aged out of his music. But uh, you get this second generation of people who... They, they don't want to do what they've heard. They want to make their own niche. Like I said, there's a whole group of like jazz performers now. Um, there, are hip, there are kids hip-hop music performers. Mm-hmm. With, uh, and the Grammy, you know, Secret Agent 23 Scradoo won the Grammy a couple of years ago right. with a hip-hop CD. And you have Mr. Cookie Jar on the West Coast who's doing his rap stuff. You have Father Goose on the East Coast who's doing stuff. And then the jazz, and then you have like the whole jazzy stuff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I have three, two or three jazz children's music CDs that I have reviewed or that I am reviewing. Hmm. And bilingual children's music, you know, not world music per se, just like English, Spanish children's music mm-hmm. is a whole minor subgenre that's, that's, you know, really burgeoning now. In general, it seems like over the past three or four years, there have been more artists entering into the market just in general, as far as releasing mm-hmm. material. It seems like it's kind of on the uptake as far as uh, quantity. Do you have you witnessed that too? Yeah, I, I you know that that part of that is the advent of the home studio. Mm-hmm. So the the cost factor becomes just your physical, uh, your transportation, uh, how much pizza you're going to feed these people. And your um, mechanical reproduction costs. There's a fa- there's a fascinating discussion that's going on now, and it's not just with children's music; it's with the entire industry, trying to figure out when, say, Taylor Swift sells a million copies of her of her new album. They're very careful now not to say she sold a million records uh, or she sold a million CDs. They say she sold a million copies of her latest release. And that'll include people who went to, you know, um, the Microsoft Music Source, uh, you know, the Android Store. They went to iTunes. They went to Spotify or wherever they're going to go and they're going to pay money so that they can purchase, you know, Amazon Music. They can purchase a copy 
of all the material and any bonus features that are attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But there are other artists who are saying, I, I still want a tangible product that my child can, you know, put on a bookcase or something. Right. You know, so that it's not just in digital form. It's nice to actually say, why don't you go pick a CD for a car drive or, right. you know, unless you've got a, you know, a phone that's got 3000 songs on it and you've got 150 albums worth of material on it. Right. Yeah. It's the, uh, the CD, I think there's still a place for CDs in children's music. It's hard to find a place uh, for CDs pretty much anywhere else because of the digital technology. But I still think, yeah, the car is sort of the last bastion, you know, the last place for a good, uh, cd to to be spun right and, and i mean we've been to concerts and we've seen musicians and they've got their merch table set up and they've got their three cds and they've got their t-shirt and they've got their wife or their teenage son or their mother-in-law sitting at the table selling the merch and they they feel obligated three songs in to introduce the band and say if you like us we got a t-shirt we've got some some albums for sale and i've seen that at the high end and the low end i mean i've seen shows where a, a group is really doing well and there's a line of people at the merch booth. And I've also seen shows where the audience seems completely, I don't want to say disinterested in the music, but it's like, all right, I came here, I came here, I'm going to listen to some music for a while, but I don't intend to buy any product. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so as a reviewer, as somebody who's listened to and written about over 500, uh, CDs or albums of mm. children's music, and also you know, goes to live shows. I, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit mm -hmm. on the other side. What what attracts you? So let's start with a show. If you take your kids to a show and you've got this uh, critical eye, not, a, mm -hmm. not, not in a bad way, but you're a, a reviewer, mm -hmm. what do you look for when you get there during the performance and after as far as uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly? You know, children's music, more than anything, there's going to be an interactivity with the audience. It is the rare children's music performer who gets on stage and says, generally, good morning, everyone, and then plays a 40-minute set and doesn't acknowledge the audience in any way and then just walks off stage. Mm -hmm. Children's music performers, more than anything else, are there to engage with the audience. So the best performers are the ones that are able to draw something from the audience and it doesn't turn into total chaos. Like they go, you know, oh, give me an animal. And you get 10 kids yelling things out and they're just like, okay, a cat, because they, they have a verse already of the song for a cat. Mm -hmm. uh, if they actually take something and the kid goes an elephant and he goes an elephant and now the kids are all laughing because they're going to want to see how he can fit an elephant into the context of his song. Right. And one of the things from that Ben always enjoyed, and you will not get this, say, if you go to Paul McCartney in concert, is after the show, the artist goes, hey, I'm going to come to the back. I'm going to sign stuff. Come and say hello. And, you know, that doesn't happen at Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney goes off stage and you know you're never going to see him again. Mm -hmm. But there are so many artists that we've seen over the years and Ben has specifically gone up to people now, and before he can say something, they go, "Hi, Ben." And <laughs> so he's so familiar. He's so familiar, and he's so known to a certain group of performers in a, in a certain number of venues that he can show up, and people are. And he's been name checked from the stage by people. Wow! You know, oh Ben, Ben asked me before the show, and I said I was going to play this song for him. And sometimes he can stump the mu the mu musician. Chris Ballou, who records as Casper Baby Pants, mm -hmm. did a few shows at uh, Symphony Space in Manhattan. During one of the shows, he's doing an intro and he songs and he said, um, I'm now going to sing a song I wrote about a bear. And Ben just blurts out, Stumpy the Bear. And Chris was a little taken aback and he goes, oh, that's right. I've written two songs about bears. Well, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing the other one. <laughs> So they kind of, so I mean, he's got a set list. He's kind of stumped him, and going full circle back to Uncle Rock, um, he did a holiday show once, and we showed up a little early, and Ben started asking him about songs. Are you going to do this one? Are you going to do this one? And Robert Warren, who's Uncle Rock, said, "Wait a minute, Ben." And he took out a sheet of paper and a pen, and Ben was naming songs, and he just started writing them 
in not in the order that he was saying them, but he started writing them in on the piece of paper, pretty much making his set list hmm. as Ben was dictating it. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. you can't. Yeah, you can't. You know, you can. And I and after after we walked in and sat down, I was trying to explain to him now why you're not going to have that experience with anyone else. It's not going to happen. This is the only place you're going to have that level of connection with a musician and with the performance. Mm-hmm. Well, it's wonderful when you have a connection to, I, I mean, that's the other thing about it, uh, adult music versus children's music is you can be a children's artist uh, playing music for kids and you can have that connection to a child from when they were three or four years old. And if they have younger siblings, you can know that child for a dec for maybe a decade. Right. You know, and you can you can see them through different stages. There are children's mu- musicians that we've seen since Ben was three or four years old, and then we were seeing them a decade later. Hmm. For instance, somebody like Brady Reimer who lives on Long Island, and we saw them for the first time and his band in, I think, 2009. And then this past summer, he was playing a show in Suffolk County on Long Island, which is all the way out on Long Island in New York, uh, by uh, the Hamptons, let's say. Mm -hmm. And it was just coincidence that he was going to be playing and we were out there. So we just showed up. It was just him and uh, his... um, I think it was the key. I think it was the uh, the piano player mm-hmm. uh, or the drummer. So it was just two of them playing. I think it was him and just the drummer, actually. And at one point, he's playing a song, and he's being very interactive. He's having the kids march around with him in the in the uh, under a tent. And then he's playing one of the songs, and Ben just spontaneously got up and went to the microphone and started singing with him. <laughs> You know, Brady Brady is looking at me and I'm looking at Brady and he's not going to stop him because he knows that Ben has been seeing him in concert for 10 years and he knows the lyrics for the song. And the one thing I regret, I I got a photo of it, but I did not shoot video because a woman from the group that was there was shooting video. Hmm. Uh, And I never got that video. That's one of the things. Yeah. yeah, That'd be cool. That would be great. Great video. But he wouldn't have done that. You know, he's not going to get on stage at the Beacon Theater and sing with Weezer. Right. You know, but he was able to spontaneously go and sing a song with this musician who he felt completely comfortable with. This is interesting because so from a from a reviewer of live shows, you're Mm -hmm. saying like interactivity, that's critical. That's one of the things that you look for. And then also accessibility and the um, whether or not the performers stick around and actually engage or disappear. Like, are they going to be a part of this relationship or not? Right. The, um, when it comes to CDs, when you get those in the mail, then without talking about specific artists or pros or, like, or songs or things like that, but what do you listen for when it hits you? And how has that changed over the years uh, since you started reviewing CDs, um, I, I look for I look for professional production values. I don't want to hear something where clearly you can tell it's it's a home studio and it's. I mean, there's stuff like like I said, Casper Baby Pants. He's recording everything himself. He's overdubbing vocals. Sometimes he's got. Uh, one of his kids on a song. Sometimes he's got a guest performer, but mostly it's a one-man show. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's so well produced because he's got 20, 25 years in the industry. So I want to hear something that doesn't sound like it was thrown together. There was some thought that went into it. And also, lyrically, it has to be engaging. It has to be about something. And it can't be stereotypical children's music. I don't... I really don't like when I get a CD and the first song is almost literally mm-hmm. wake up, the sun is up, we got to go out and play song. And then there's, you know, a song about, you know, uh, oh, this is what we're having for lunch. And then there's a song about dinosaurs. It, there's a song about trucks. And then it ends with a lullaby. And then you look and it's like, well, I wanted to cover, 
this is a concept album about one day in the life of a child. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's very it's trite. It's hard not to, but it's hard not you to. Know? I mean, because I look, I look at our last two Come albums, on. or all three of our albums, and they follow that formula of, hey, let's get going, that introductory song. And then we don't. I don't do a day in the life, although I've thought about doing a day in the life concept album. And then I generally try and end with uh, a conclusion. So, right. so, but because it, it kind of makes sense to put an album together that way. Right. But, but, but the, but, okay. But, but, but the, but in my defense of that line of thinking, however, I have reviewed so many CDs that I have seen this umpteen times. You are playing for an audience in one grid of the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's unique. That may be unique for your audience. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you do that, I'm getting stuff from all around the country. And when I see that from all around the country, I still take that with, mm -hmm. okay, how well did they do it? I don't automatically condemn it. Right. Right. You know, no, I'm just yeah, saying I've seen, it's like a war correspondent. I've seen so much of that, <laughs> you know, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it before. So when I get somebody who puts out a concept album and it's a unique and engaging concept, they, you know, as long as the material is well produced and the theme works, I, I'm just yeah. I'm just really happy that they're able to have pulled it off. Recess Monkey is a very good example of a group that has done concept albums mm -hmm. you know their their concept albums have been they did one called wired which was like business and work related songs mm -hmm. which were funny they did one where it was uh ship like shipwrecked so it was all nautical themed things and submarine tangent you know so they have you know but but you know two of them are school teachers and they deal and and, and Jack was a, was an elementary school teacher also so they have the firsthand experience with kids they've got they're still after 15 years they've got their thumb on the pulse of that definitely you know? yeah and uh, their their concept albums are are one of the tightest ones that I've heard in the industry where they 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 commit right. to a theme for 12 the 14 songs and they see it through the whole through the whole way which is right right it's cool as opposed to like a lot of artists who just produce singles and then they put them on the album and you know i'm not i don't i, I think whichever way the artist goes is fine as long as to your point they're doing it to um the best that they can and also to like a professional grade i suppose right i mean nobody nobody puts out i mean i understand nobody puts out a Nobody puts out material and goes, ah, this is a placeholder. I'm, I really didn't put any effort into this. I'll work on the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with children's music where, like you said, it's the adult who has to buy it with the kid. So if the adult pays the money and the kid doesn't listen to it, the adult is going to say, all right, we're not getting this artist anymore. Right. right. So you really can't, you know, as opposed to an adult musician who may say, well, this album is a, a little different from what I've been doing. And the adult audience is willing to say, all right, this wasn't for me, but I'll wait and see what they do next. Right. Once you get a fan, you know? once the adult is a committed fan, they'll, they'll buy them even if they didn't like the last couple albums because they've already emotionally committed to them, you know, right. back in the beginning. There's the Linda Ronstadt documentary that came out, and it talks about how later in her career she she realized there are other things I want to record other than pop music. I wrote, I want to record these Spanish songs from my heritage. I want to do a blues album. And her audience, because she had built up such incredible goodwill and had a fan base, they, they let her go through that journey because it, it helped her mature as an artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we have the op I don't know if we have the time to do that in children's music where yeah. you know even though there's always a fresh crowd of kids out there it seems like albums pretty much have a short shelf life before the next cycle of new albums comes out and you know there's just new material to listen to although there are some that that hang out quite well Rafi obviously you know people are still buying his stuff yeah. yeah, the amazing thing about Rafi was he waited, I think it was 14 years between, it was either 12 or 14 years, and they put me on the list to review his first CD, 
in over a decade. And then 14 months later, he put out another CD. Mm. And he was like, this, he goes, this output is just amazing as far as he's concerned, because, you know, he had nothing for over a decade and then two albums in, in, in less than a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, rem- I was talking to, uh, to people I work with in my office who are in their 20s. They had no concept who he was. So he did, by not recording for that period of time, he missed a generation of people. Right. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think he's now, the, if he's got a new audience of three to five-year-olds and he's got their parents, but there's still like a generation of people in their 20s who missed, who may have missed his stuff, teenagers and, and early 20s. Yeah, well, grandparents are also a really large part of the uh, purchasing crowd of children's music, too. So that's, at least that's what I noticed when I had kids. It was like the grandparents were buying. Right. Some of the some of the older stuff that I was like, oh, I you know, I didn't really, I didn't listen to that as a kid, but okay, you know, we'll 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 see what this is about. Right. I mean, my kid, you know, kids are going to be sponges anyway. They're going to listen to kids are going to listen to what they're going to listen to. I mean, my younger son is still, you know, he's eight years old. He's going to be nine years old, and he wanted to go see. There was a Peppa Pig movie, mm-hmm. and I was saying, really, you haven't outgrown Peppa Pig? Isn't that for like? <laughs> five and six and seven year olds. But that was like his guilty pleasure was he still wanted, he still wanted to see that. And Ben to his credit, even though he's 18 Madison square park, which is a park on 23rd street in, uh, in Manhattan, they do a series of children's music concerts over the summer. Justin Roberts came in from uh, Chicago to play a show. And I specifically took, Ben to see that show mm. and he went right up to just he went right up to Justin Roberts and said hello mm-hmm. he said I think you're gonna play this uh, you know oh I'd like to hear this song and he goes we're playing it he <laughs> goes I'd like to hear this song he goes we're playing that one <laughs> and then he he got four songs in and I said all right that's that's the limit <laughs> but he had a mar- he had a marvelous time he knew all the songs and then a classmate of his who's three years uh, somebody from his school who was three years younger also showed up wearing a Justin Roberts t-shirt. So I didn't feel as self-conscious having my 18-year-old there mm-hmm. when a 15-year-old shows up wearing, wearing the shirt. shirt. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> right. Cuz we can all be fanboys with Justin Robert, I think, cuz I am. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to ask you a question because I wanted to talk to you because I see you as an influencer in the fact that you put out you you've been uh, engaged in this genre for so long, you've seen mm-hmm. the arc. You know a lot of the players, literal players. But on the other side, there's this cadre of of folks who, I think, musicians who are just getting into the biz or and anybody really releasing an album or wanting to make mm-hmm. uh, some noise about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're part of this small group of of a couple dozen folks nationwide who are not musicians but are influencers mm-hmm. one of the things that they come up with each year is the uh fids and camly poll it's like kids and family but it's fids and camly right and this is well, it's not a contest but it's a it's a poll could you talk i think you could probably speak to what this is a little bit better than i can. right fids and camly basically comes from uh there was a uh there was a critic for i think the village voice named robert Criscow, and he, uh christo I'm mis- I'm mangling his name. It's it's a little late for me. But he did a a poll which was called the instead of jazz and pop, it was the Paz and Jop. And you got a hundred points and you picked a top ten CDs uh of of the year. Twenty is the maximum you could give something, and you couldn't give anything less than five. And you, you ranked your top ten. Then he took all his friends who were critics and he called the results. And that was what he said were the top releases of the year. So Bill and uh, Stefan, who did who does Zooglobble, they started this. Uh, oh, geez, when did they start this? They started it back in 2010 or 11, mm-hmm. and we're getting ready to do the the new one because uh, they're about to send it out. But it's pretty much a group of pe- of of involved citizens 
who are involved in children's music. Some of them are radio station hosts. Some of them are bloggers. Some of them are uh, performers in their own right. And we all get a ballot, and uh, it's a spreadsheet, and I always go back the year, and I check everything I've reviewed, and I do three passes through. I make a list of everything that I've reviewed. I cross off the things that there's no way I would vote for them, and then I get it down to about the 15 or 20 top ones that I listened to. Generally, I'll just go into iTunes, and I'll see which tracks... Which tracks did my kids not stop listening to? Hmm. What songs from those CDs did Ben pick in repetitious play? He kept on playing. You know, what did, because it's, you know, it's not for me. It's for him. It's for his brother. Mm -hmm. So what did he enjoy the most that he chose? And what did he ask for? What did he really like? And what was really well done? And so this has been going on for, you know, at least a decade. And uh, I was very, you know, very touched that they asked me to start participating a number of years ago as one of uh, as one of the judges. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because it doesn't always reflect like parents choice awards. It doesn't reflect the Grammys. It's right. it's its own space. And that's and that's also interesting that parents choice doesn't necessarily equate to Grammy. So there's these different uh, barometers as far as who's released what and how it's and and how it's being received by different groups in different ways. And the um, right the the Fids and Camley thing. I was I was always kind of really curious about that because it's 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 an independent cycle within itself, which I which I really appreciated. I generally <laughs> always know everybody. In the list when they come when that comes out, I'll have heard pretty much everything on there and and pretty much agree with it. Be like, yeah, well, that makes sense. There's some surprises, but it kind of it kind of makes sense. But it seems to be also trend well for what is going to kind of bubble to the top on on um, like a serious XM kid like on Kids Place Live right. or different. Right. Um, well, they radio do like shows the 13, over the year. Yeah. Well. Well. You know. Kids Place Live does their 13 under 13 every week, and that's kind of a fluid a fluid list. But there may be stuff that doesn't present itself to being played on Sirius. There was an album that came out earlier this year that was all about adoption and foster care. Mm -hmm. And I can't, for the, you know, I, the, the, the woman's last name was uh, a little difficult for me. Oh, it was Lisa Schneckenberger. Hmm. Lissa Schneckenberger, and it was all songs about adoption and foster care. And it's a very difficult subject, as you might imagine, where the entire CD is about that material. And I don't think any of it got played on Sirius, but it might make my top 10 list this hmm. year mm -hmm. because they were songs. I mean, a couple of those songs were just a punch in the gut because yeah. she's singing them from the perspective of children who have never been wanted. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it, it just, um, you know, I never expected to, to receive a CD like that. Right. You know, and then I'm reading the press material on it and I'm going, oh my God, you know, how, what is this going to be? And it turned out to be incredibly well produced and, and, uh, and very first person because she has been a, she's a foster mother. Hmm. Uh, and she was going through, you know, she was detailing her own experiences. And so that's the most, it was one of the most intimate CDs that I'd received in several years. Wow. That is, um, so in the, the knee-jerk reaction is like, is that appropriate for children? And the answer is, well, how did you do it? Right. Uh, exactly. It's how are you covering, similar to what I said about Justin Roberts, right. is what do you take how do you take this material and translate it so that it's appropriate for this base? Mm -hmm. And every parent is going to make that determination, you know, and I did play a couple of these songs for my kids uh, so that Ben could see if he wanted to uh, put them on playlists and whatnot. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that if it was hummable or if they appreciated it um, or if they, you know, 
what they felt about it, but I just thought it was something where it would be important for them to hear a couple of these songs. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, ultimately he's the he's the uh, the aggregator. You know, I can say these songs are very important. That doesn't mean that after he plays them once, he's going to be playing them constantly. Mm-hmm. He'll it's his determination at this point. What else can I answer oh, for you? Oh man, I tell uh, you, I could talk to you I for hours. I've got a hundred questions, but you've been so gracious with your time. I think we should probably cut it off here. The uh, big takeaways, though, uh, that that I think we kind of boiled down to were, you know, is that it's better for a children's musician to push the envelope when it comes to the creative voice. You know, um, that as far as an album standing out for someone like you who reviews and, and is exposed to so many, it's got to stand out from the crowd however you do that that's that's one of the cut above things speak in your voice speak to the audience but also understand that you have to speak to these parents to let them know that you're not talking down to their kids Hmm. yeah that's not asking much you know (laughs) (laughs) i'll give you a pillow with that embroidered on (laughs) thank you (laughs) well um Mr. Jeff, thank you so much for your time again. And uh, I may try and get a panel discussion going at some point and get like five or six people on where I can just pepper you all with questions and see if I can get you to fight, get you know, get some good arguments going about the future of children's music and what's appropriate and what's not. That'd be, that'd be kind of exciting. That would be, that'd be interesting. That would be, that would be very amusing down the line. <laughs> and probably it's impossible some... to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are some people with some very strong opinions in children's music. Well, I should get them on here then, because I, I, because uh, I, I, I always like to kind of poke a little bit. But you, my friend, you, uh, you're the real deal. So again, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending your time and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, not a problem, not a problem, Cowboy Andy. And best of, best of luck to the podcast for you. And there we go. A conversation with Jeff Cohen, Mr. Jeff Two Thousand. I should put some reverb on that. I should put more reverb on that. About what it's like to be a reviewer of children's music. And I encourage you, if you come up with a CD, a video, send it over to him. If he is not completely overwhelmed, he just may post it on Twitter and Facebook. And then you can share it. And hey, how about that free promotion from a very interesting person? Let's talk for a second about the Fids and Camley annual poll. Now, this is why I think these influencers are so important in children's music. These folks, and there's a list of them, you can go to the the Fids and Camley website and you can check this out. They announce usually uh, early or mid-October, they'll come up with a list and you can see basically who they picked and who their honorable mentions were. And then sometimes they do singles. But this is the list of the folks who are on it. And so if you're not familiar with these people... I strongly suggest that if you're taking this seriously, you do some research and you get out there. There's, uh, of course, there's Stefan Shepard of Zoo Gobble. We've talked about him before. Bill Childs does a show called Spare the Rock, Spoil the Child. It's a great, some usually weekly radio show. I think it's one hour now. I think it used to be two hours, but it's cool. And it's worth checking out and listening to. And then we also have on this list Stephanie Bange of the School Library Journal, Tor Hyams, H-Y-A-M-S. He worked with uh, uh, Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction, helped set up, uh, what was it, not the Kindependent, but the uh, Kidapalooza, Kidapalooza uh, Rock Show and Austin Kitty Limits. Dave Lofton does the Saturday Morning Cereal Bowl uh, broadcast. Mike Mason does a podcast called uh, Good Stuff Kids Podcast, profiles the creators of children's music, and as another person that you can reach out to, maybe you can get on his podcast. It's a great podcast. He's done over 200 of those. And so you can learn a lot about other children's musicians just by listening to his podcast. Uh, Kathy O'Connell is on the list. She's Kids Corner. She's one of the uh, foundations in the children's music world, basically, uh, in the kindy music scene. James Packard, he's the Long Island uh, Children's Museum. Paul Stark. He does a show called The Musical Merry-Go-Round. I think it's a weekly show. Again, it's another one that you can you can send CDs, CDs into him, and he may or, or may not play it. He plays, uh, it's a really interesting mix. It's Some of them are, he seems to have his favorites, and so there's a lot of re- repetition of the same artists over and over. But he, you know, but he's obviously 
He's a national figure with, uh, with, his, with his weekly podcast. Oh, Sagan Thacker. He does a, a fantastic show called Radioactive Kids. It's a weekly, I think it's a two-hour show. If you send him your music, he will play it. And that's totally unique and cool. He plays everything. He's a really uh, a wonderful guy. He's going to be on the podcast at some point or has been. You never know when these things are posted, before or after I take them out of order. Anyway, so there's uh, Sagan Thacker, Radioactive Kids. There's uh, Sienna Whitfield, Wildfield. Um, she does the Hilltown Family Variety Show, which is a weekly radio show out of, uh, what is it, uh, New, New Hampton, Massachusetts, I think. And I've been, I personally, I've been on that show twice as a host. You can contact her and say, hey, I want to host a weekly show. If you come up with a theme, she'll, you, you know, you might be able to actually host your own show, which is a heck of a lot of fun, great experience, and also a way to kind of get your foot into a, maybe a larger market. This, I'm not sure if this list is completely current. I printed it off this year. I know the list changes each year, but Beverly uh, Reelsworth is another writer for the School Library Journal who is also on the list. So this is the group of Fids and Camley. There's, with the exception of, I think, Tor, I uh, don't see really any musicians on this list, any people who are trying, who are actively releasing music as children's musicians. They're mostly podcasters, DJs. And then there's people like, uh, you know, Stephen Shepard, who has his, his blog and a long history of just being engaged, like, like Mr. Jeff, 2000, Jeff Cohen, engaged in the music industry, and this is what they do. So the long and the short of it is, there's a whole other layer of things out there, of people out there besides Kids Place Live, that you can plug into, and you can send them your music. And these influencers, they know each other, they talk to each other, obviously, they're a part of this group, they see each other's results. And so if you're struggling to get any kind of traction or any kind of recognition or marketing, if you're in a small market like I am here in Montana, and you're like, Ugh, you know, nobody within f literally 500 miles is going to pay attention to me unless I do something. Well, this is one of the things that you can do. Do some research. Start with these folks. Send them a letter. Send them your CD. Be respectful. They get tons of this stuff. They may not do anything with it. You know, some of these people have never played my music and I've sent them CDs and I've sent them cards and said, hey, thank you, appreciate what you do. And that's just the way it goes because there's a lot of new music out there and it either strikes their fancy and they think it's good for their crowd or they don't. And if they don't, it's their show, it's their gig. So, you know, don't, don't try it, don't take it too personally, but just keep knocking on the door. And if you do, and you know, you'll get a play. In another podcast, we're specifically going to talk about radio shows, and I'll give you a, I'll give you some information in this other podcast about how you can find out if anybody's playing your music, because there's ways that you can go online, and you can actually check and see who's playing your stuff. You can go online, and you can see if your stuff has ever been played on, uh, on Sirius XM, on Kids Place Live, or any of the Sirius XM channels, because don't forget, just because there's you know, one Kids Place Live it's not the only XM radio station out there that might want to listen to your music if you're a little bit off the beaten path. But wait a second, that's a totally different topic. And we're not talking about that today. So thanks again to Mr. Jeff 2000 for joining us at Barn Banter. And I hope that, ah, oh, there it comes again. <sighs> okay, please go to my website, cowboyandy.com. Click on the icons, like the icons, you can do it, and then and then we can be friends. Like I tell you, we can be friends, and, and you can reach out to me, and we can email, and we can write, and oh, let's sing a song about how we're all the same, how we all like snacks and cuddles, and we all like Mr. Jeff 2000. Playing games, we all like to be hung and loved, driving in our beds at night, tall or small, boy or girl, brown, pink or black or white. Same how we all like snacks and cuddles and we all like playing games